How we doing, everybody? It's me. You're listening to Honored with William McCarthy, live from New York City. Just checking in with you guys. So welcome to, uh, I think this might be the 75th podcast. And I just wanted to keep it nice and relaxed today. So today is going to be an episode um, that might be perhaps a little solemn, and that's totally okay. Oof, where to even begin? Uh, you know, I guess my my mouthpiece or my platform is generally about creativity and um, trying to have a connectivity with uh, other people around the world and uh, minimizing our borders and looking towards each other uh, as comrades that all love art and music, right? And traveling and so on. Uh, what's, what's difficult about this episode for me is that um, they say the show must go on, uh, but does it? <laughs> does it really? in light of what's been going on in the world. Um, I'm not at a loss at all, actually. I have a lot of thoughts. I started the week by writing a, uh, a story. The story is called Skeleton Mask, and I thought it would be um, healthy to put that out into the world. Um, as we know, there's been some very tragic events lately in the United States, and... I recognize that a lot of people probably are tuning in just to take their mind off things. So I will, uh, the disclaimer, uh, today I'll be talking just about the world and, and what we're going through. So this, this won't be my goofy cha-cha lounge, um, <laughs> McCarthy episode. This is sort of reaching out to other human beings and just making sure everyone's okay. I was watching a documentary last night about, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he's a massive hero of mine, and he has been for a very long time. I was also reading a, about um, Stokely Carmichael and Malcolm X, reading some Baldwin. And this isn't just that I rolled out of bed and decided to do this because of um, the recent tra tragic events around the country. Uh, I, I turned to Martin Luther King quite a bit. Um, he just represents so much to me, and he's been like a lighthouse for me in my life and over the past year I've even been listening to him more so this is all the more startling that everything has happened the way it has um when I think about prejudice and um and race I I really think about this country and the foundation that it was built on and I get in a lot of arguments with friends of mine because I, I'm, I'm not very patriotic. I, um, I, I come from a background that I was pretty compromised when I was, when I was a kid. And I, was, um, I, I felt like kind of like a bear trap had grabbed me by the ankles and, and uh, thrust me into a matrix of the United States system whether it was um, the criminal justice system with 
you know, my mom getting locked up or my brother getting locked up or living in bad neighborhoods, um, going to schools that were compromised. Um, we have something called the big brother and big sister program. I don't know if they have it anymore, but you know, I think it's like helping foster kids or so on. I definitely remember that. I remember going to a school gymnasium where they, they give presents to like poor kids. <laughs> Not the greatest presents. I remember I went one year to, to uh, select a present and uh, I got a girl's gift. <laughs> so that's a really funny example of how like the system kind of like gets as close as it can. Um, but the benefit that I had um, that I didn't know as a kid is that I'm a male and I'm I'm white and is you know I hope I'm not pissing people off but it's the truth and those two um, those two arrows in your uh, in your sling um, can get you pretty far in the in this country unfortunately and that's not very fair so when I saw people from the inner city reacting I went through this kind of meditation on the whole thing and I know some people in my country are reacting to it that it's it's not lawful and it's disrespectful I think some monuments were defaced and so on um, but when we look at it and when I looked at it I had to stop and really think about the central word that I've been learning a lot about the older I get and the word is trauma and I'll get into that later in the story, but I just, you know, I can't help but think nobody wants to be a thief, like in their heart, and nobody wants um, to to vandalize things. I think generally we're all born into this life as, as children, and the world sort of molds us as we go. And uh, I had to take a, a look at... at uh, at my background and and how and when I cross paths with other people from other races and did we all feel the same level of Americanness or patriotism and I think that it's a very complex question that unfortunately this country is going to be saddled with probably for the rest of its days now in other news Elon Musk was launching a you know, a spacecraft to the sky. <laughs> and that was a funny observation as well. It's like, isn't that the human condition? Like, God, I'd really love to be on that rocket ship. <laughs> but then it's like, no, I wouldn't want to be on that rocket ship departing Earth because this is, these are my brothers and sisters, man. This is the, the struggle or the front lines of whatever we're fighting towards and against. And I thought a lot about it as I'll get into the story later, just that some people just have different different things thrust upon them in, in this life, and it's really not fair. It's brought out a lot of um, anger, and because we're in the age of Facebook, you know, you can see people's comments, and this is like a very kind of like dividing line because myself and other friends of mine are seeing people's comments and uh you know we're not all on the same page and 
and that's disappointing. I recognize that I live in New York City. I recognize that that this is an enclave um, where people's freedoms are celebrated and their um, diversity is and diversity is celebrated. Uh, it's also one of the most racist places I've ever, it probably is the most racist place I've ever lived in my life. Now, when I was younger and I moved here 20 years ago, I really appreciated that people were at least honest about it. Because where I came from, you didn't say it. And people say it here. So I've heard the N-word, I've heard, I've heard anti-Semitism, I've heard um, derogatory comments against immigrants when the very city that I call home is, was built by immigrants. So there's sort of like a decaying and dying. It's like a dying star in the sky. It's, um, it's, it's a decaying ideology. And, and it's sad because I'm asking myself, do I keep these friends, you know, that, that are saying these, these things that I don't agree with? I like to think that if we all just drop the bullshit and just get real with each other in truth, I really believe that we're all we're, we're all soft creatures on the inside. Even the worst of the worst, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, you know, Osama bin Laden, Donald Trump, like these are all human beings that grew that that started as a you know, as a as a clean soul, as a as a baby, and it's just so tragic to see us all so confused. What a confusing, tangled mess humanity can be. It's like unbelievable. So upon reading, or sorry, upon thinking about my own journey um, with people from other races, um, I had asked myself where I stand and where I've always stood. And when the first times I remember crossing paths with people that weren't white, and, and I was very lucky to, to be born and live most of my childhood, my early childhood, into grade school in Santa Cruz, California, which is a really multicultural place. And I was there in the 80s, which was wonderful because, you know, there was break dancing and surfing and punk rock. There was all, it was, it was, now it seems like a tiny speck of a little town, but, you know, it was my whole entire um, domain back then. And it, and it was filled with people who were expressing themselves. So I'm very, very lucky. And I was happy upon reflecting that I grew up with Mexican kids. I, I, I think I, I grew up with black kids and California is great like that. Um, but California is also kind of a complex place in that people think basically California is Los Angeles, which it's not. There's a, a whole lot of state um, north and south of there and in the interior, which I spent my um, latter grade school years and into high school, which I'll get into in the story. But um, we have a very we have a very rural uh, interior of California and on the coast. I mean, like on the water as well. The more north you go, and I I saw racism, man. And I I thought a lot about a friend of mine I grew up with. I was I was very very close. Um, a very dear friend of mine in high school was black. A real sweetheart guy named Johannes. I'll get into him, into his story, like in in when I read you the skeleton mask story. 
But uh, I was lucky to know him because we were both venting um, quite a bit at that age. And what I'm realizing, and many people are realizing, is that people just have different steam to blow off. They have different trauma. They have different challenges. And all I can ask is if you're in America or you're abroad and you're looking at the situation, don't tie this in with with Donald Trump and politics um, because this has been going on for hundreds of years here. And whether you're Asian, Black, Russian, Thai, Polish, whatever, everybody deals with obstacles here and they're really unfair and they must stop. So my journey from a small town into a medium-sized city and ultimately into the crown jewel of world cities, the big, bad, nasty New York City has been a long, interesting journey. And I've walked alongside a lot of really beautiful people and I've seen some pretty ugly stuff, but I had to go back and start thinking when those changes started. When I started getting away from a, basically like a social pool of, of people that I went to high school with and it was literally an all white town and when that started changing. So I wrote this story and I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, it, it I spent a little over four hours on it. So it's not gonna be a short story. Um, feel free to go and get a glass of water, move about the cabin. <laughs> and um, I'm gonna read you a story. And, uh, and then I'm gonna wish you all the best. And I'm gonna get back to working on um, my new episode for my very appreciated patrons, uh, my New York City Serenade episode. So um, this is a story called Skeleton Mask. In light of recent events, I'm going to share with you a story that has lived inside me for decades. I've written about aspects of this experience, but today I will share with you more. I was gonna save this for my second book, but I think it's important now. And fair warning, it'll likely be a long story, so save it for a quiet reading block on your own time. Somewhere along the way in my teens, I fell through the cracks. After high school, I moved into a lower-class district of Sacramento, California, a scruffy, sun-drenched Central Valley city that is the capital of California and the closest urban environment to a cluster of agricultural towns I had grown up in. This was after my foster home tour and grade school adoption, removing me from my coastal hometown of Santa Cruz. Sacramento is something that I still reflect on to this day. I guess you could call this my formative years and when I first encountered the complexities of race relations in America. My town was a bubble. It had a fruit packing plant in the heart of it, and it was ruled by white kids playing football, cheerleaders, and pickup trucks. Outside of that insulated youth lair, there were the parents in the stands at the games, more or less pining for that bygone era of their own lives, now rooting their sons on in sports on the weekends, and full small-town pride in pageantry. Bands pumped out raucous fight songs. Batons were twirled and our mascot, a golden eagle stoked the crowd in the stands to the smell of hamburgers and hot dogs that blew across the field where young boys' dreams were coming true. For they were finally heroes like their fathers once were. It was, as, 
it was as if everybody was only allocated four years of glory, and after that you just rooted on the next generation. It wasn't uncommon to see fathers wearing their letterman jackets from the 70s sitting in the stands, drunk on those Friday night football games. Outside of the eggplant festival every year, there really wasn't much to do. It was that kind of place. The kind of town you actually read the small town free paper to see how the local team fared against the city schools, and the secretaries around town proudly wore high school football pins. After multiple suspensions from school, I 100% failed out of the fabric of this long-woven American tapestry. I failed and I fell hard, and I fell fast. On the weekends in my town, you had sex in cars. Crowds of beefy boys huddled around bonfires listening to ACDC, drinking warm Budweiser. Fist fighting and being alphas the day is long. I was now a pariah. No longer welcome at their bonfire, so where to now? I was working at a mall 40 minutes away, and I left after a fist fight. My foster dad, after being kicked out of continuation high school for bad kids, I was on fire in my insides, completely baffled as to why my life was falling apart. Although I quietly despised being trapped there, I felt so low for not even being able to graduate. In the era that I found myself adrift, I began to venture away towards the more suburban environments near the mall where I worked. There was just a lot of time to kill and you'd basically go to a late night diner, a chain diner called Denny's or a cafe in the daytime to hang out with other dropouts and chain smoke cigarettes. It was pretty much white America. There were goth kids, suburban hippie types, metalheads and ravers, at best taking classes at community college, but mostly just being aimless. I hung out in Folsom, California, famous for its prison and Johnny Cash. And I met some kids that let me crash with them after I fell through the cracks of my small town. Although I was really only one or two towns over from where I went to high school, I had now met an entirely new cast of characters to hang around. Those kids introduced me to Sacramento, and I think I really moved there because I had no car and it was easier to get around as it had a roughly 30 by 30 walkable grid in its downtown. I had one black friend in high school named Johannes. Everyone loved him. He kind of had it easy in that we were all so starved for any diversity that simply by being black and funny, he was very popular. His little brother was best friends with my little brother, and I adored the guy, and we had many adventures. We listened to hip-hop and goofed off. I'm pretty sure Johannes and his little brother were the only black kids in our entire town, and I remember him telling me that the fathers of the girls that he was dating were always shitty to him. I saw that it hurt him. No matter how polite he was, it didn't matter. They didn't like him. Sometimes we'd take baseball bats and drive around our town at night and vandalize things together. Maybe I was blowing off steam because I had been adopted against my will late into my childhood and my mother was still alive out there somewhere, but I couldn't see her. And maybe he was blowing off steam because he could feel the teachers and the small town dads and the local cops scrutinize him for no reason except that he was black. Fast forward a few years later, and I'm 20 years old. It is December in post-Reagan, California. And the streets of Sacramento are rife with racial divides, methamphetamines, homelessness, and the same urban realities that we recently witnessed with the death of George Floyd. I had recently come very close to losing my life in an armed robbery. One night at approximately 6 p.m., 
I was closing in a bread store I had worked on when four masked African-American teenagers broke in and held me up at gunpoint with a shotgun. I was taken upstairs by one of the boys who was terribly nervous to open the safe. I, of course, was not bestowed that kind of responsibility as I was just a customer service kid making bagels for the general public. So trembling, I just kept repeating to him I had no idea how to open that safe. All the guys were wearing skeleton masks, and we were made to lay down on our stomachs as the masked men stole our wallets after beating my coworker Steve up pretty bad with a shotgun. After they left, I ran into the night. I never even waited for the cops. I just returned the next day, only to quit the job as it scared me so deeply that I would rather be broke than dead. I just had a bad feeling. Those skeleton masks are seared in my psyche even today as they seem like they seem like ex executioners that came up from hell to take me back down with them. Sadly, that same shotgun that was put to my head was used six days later in another robbery. It was in our store, and it was on the very shift that I was supposed to be working, but this time they started shooting and they killed my replacement. A 23-year-old kid a co-worker of mine named Jason. They shot Jason in the stomach and he laid on the floor, bleeding from his stomach and weeping as they mocked him, robbing the cash register. From an article in the Sacramento paper, there were two more shots. Frost had a large hole in his side. Jason Frost, who is 23 years old, now had three large gunshot wounds. The shots were fired at close range no more than five or six feet away and possibly closer. Doctors performed multiple surgeries on Frost, but an infection developed and he progressively got worse. He died on January 3rd, 1997. The cause of death was multiple system organ failure, secondary to shotgun trauma. After the shooting, the robbers ran out of the bread store and fled in an SUV. Jason did not work the closing shift. He was 100% covering mine that night, and that will stay with me for the rest of my life. What is heart-wrenching for me is that all these black kids got life sentences, and Jason is gone forever. And what I reflected on during the George Floyd killing this past week is one simple word. Trauma. Fatherlessness. The backhand of a criminal justice system. Racial inequality. A lack of hope in our nation creates deep trauma that surfaces in a multitude of ways. And much like myself, having been traumatized as a foster kid, losing my family late into my childhood, my high school experience completely fell apart in front of my eyes. I had no idea that I harbored trauma, and that's exactly why I was playing out, acting out, excruciatingly for all my hometown to see. And what caused me to leave into the world a fairly broken young person. My childhood was following me and I didn't even know it. These boys that nearly took my life likely had no idea that they were harboring trauma from a life in a nation that does not foster a role for them to springboard out of their circumstances. These gunmen grew up simply not valued and not protected and live every day vulnerable. To be in this situation, in a country, with the color of your skin, 
leaves you vulnerable in ways that you might not even understand. And I forgive these guys for their crimes. Gangster rap, money, urban tales of pimps and hustlers and heroes often become de facto inner city stand-in versions of what one should aspire to be. The toxicity of the capitalist system that happily floods the marketplace with Photoshop models, violent films, celebrity worship, first-person shooter video games, and angry gangster rap surely had a role here, but it'll never stand trial for it. There are profit margins at play in all of those toxic elements, but they will never be called into question. They make money, and even if they're not always healthy for society, that is capitalism. If you don't have a point of entry into a society, you are marginalized to exist on the periphery as an outsider looking in, and eventually that becomes a comfort zone, an annexation of a people, a ghetto. People get trapped. Some say education can set you free. But what if you don't know anyone that's ever gotten a college education? You're literally speaking a language and being told that you need to learn that language, but everyone you live with and that you are amongst doesn't speak that language. So you're asking people to have somewhat of a superpower to elevate, get out of their environment and their circumstances and start taking on something that they don't completely understand so people get left behind. In other words, when you are the youth and a minority and no one is directing you or steering you towards anything healthy, you are vulnerable in mind, body, and spirit. In your diet, what seeps in your ears, in through your eyes, and into your heart, you have been socialized and changed by external factors when you were born an innocent baby. I am saddened and angered that George Floyd is dead. I am saddened that those black boys are behind bars to this day, having never walked far into life as adults. They held a gun up to my head. They killed a friend of mine. The trauma that minorities experience is one of alienation, anger, fatigue, which causes behaviors and a refusal to capitulate or join a system that doesn't care about them. So crime happens and more and more abuse takes place by law enforcement trying to quell an endless cycle of upheaval. We have been at this routine for hundreds of years in America. This is what I believe we saw in the George Floyd killing. And the trauma only continues on personified in broken glass being swept up as we speak which is the actual physical personification of what happened. But the generational trauma will lurk in all of our hearts for all of our days. But depending on which side of the socioeconomic line you live on determines quite a lot of where that trauma gets stored. And when it's stored, you walk with it. You respond to it, even if you're not conscious of it. We need to find another way. We've got to find a way to protect each other. We must value one another, right, left, black, white. Should we even bother calling it the United States of America? Maybe we need to earn that back. Maybe we should just be called the States of America. We must push things forward now. Thank you very much for listening. So, that's it from your old friend McCarthy. I want everyone to just take a deep breath 
and even not a physical deep breath, maybe a metaphoric, metaphorical deep breath, and just look out for your psyche. I have more than one, I was thinking about this before I did the podcast, I have more than one friend that lost a parent before the COVID-19 thing hit. So there are people who have lost a family member, gone into lockdown, seen things on TV that are going to affect them and dig up painful feelings of the first loss that they had, then the economic side of things, and now we're watching our country implode. So there's a lot of people wounded out there. There's bruises, there's scrapes, there's gashes, there's broken wings. The lighthouses that should be in place are not. There are are very dim lights shining through a lot of clouds right now. So just everybody look after your psyche because that psyche can only take so much. Uh, I'm going through it myself. I've stayed working um, and I work quite a bit. But if I'm not working, I'm taking this all in too. And your, 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 your nervous system can only take so much. So I just ask that you all look out for each other and look after yourselves as well. So I'm sorry for the weight of this podcast, but it, it had to be done. I think that our grandchildren will look back at this time period, just the past 90 days that has changed the world and certainly exposed a lot in my country. It's like when you lift up a rock and underneath it you see bugs and worms and it's like a different a different temperature. It's like this has taken away the facade and it's showed us the dark side of our country and it's up to us how we're going to get out of it. Thank you for being patient and going with me on this journey, albeit a weighty one, but a necessary one. Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy.